0: And we're beginning here in the new parak on the top of Kuftet Bavim, and Alif. the parak here is going to speak about fire in general on Shabbat the implications of a house catching fire what you're allowed to save what you're allowed to salvage from there and there is a core worry here that you're going to violate the Shabbat in dealing with the fire so the Mishnah begins all types of holy books when it's allowed to save and the Mishnah will go into more detail as to what exactly that means now first of all the question is, why is it that you're not allowed to save any books from the Deleka and only Kitzvah kodish So the Gemara is going to say, and the Rishonim pointed out, because we're worried about a person being Bahul amimono. person is worried about saving his possessions, because he's so engaged and worried about losing his possessions that he might accidentally come to put out the fire. Given that, we don't want them engaged in hatsalah in saving the items in their house, because if they engage in that activity, it's likely to lead to something that's gonna be much more problematic, which is kibui, the extinguishing of the fire on Shabbat. There are some exceptions to the rule, including what we're seeing in our Mishnah, which is ha-kodesh. That ha-kodesh, for the sake of the Kitve Kodish, we want you to save them, and therefore we allow certain dispensations. The question is, why do we worry about a person putting out a fire? They Rishonim point out that later on in the Mesekhta, we're gonna to see towards the end of the Kufnu and Kufnun Gimel that if a person is coming towards a city, they're outside the Tchum, and they have money and other objects with them, and they're unable to carry it anymore, and they'd have to leave it there and lose it, then we allow them to tell the Nachri that is with them to put it onto the animal or to take it for them on their behalf. We are Matir, in Iser de Rabanan of Amira the Akum, of telling an Akum to do it on your behalf in order to salvage or to save your money. So why over there where a person is going to lose, we allow a dispensation, we allow the violation of a dinderra bonon, whereas over here we don't allow a violation of a Dinderrabanan because as Rashi says over here, the problems are they allowed you to do extra work on Shabbat, which would be problematic normally in as well as they like you take it into an area that doesn't have an Eruv in it, which otherwise would be a sewer Midir so we're saying here that there's a Dindra Rabbonon of Isra Eruv or Yisra Tircha that we're applying to other objects besides the Kitve Kodish. so why over here do the Rabbonon uphold their position, and over there they say that you can violate the Dind Rabbonon of Amir Laakum in order to salvage or save whatever possessions that you have so the Ramban and the Rashba try to distinguish between something that's biyadaim versus something that is outside of your direct control when you're speaking about the items that a person is carrying they would have to be ma'abi biyadaim they'd have to throw them away drop them on the spot leave them there that a person is unlikely to do and therefore faced with that situation the Chachamim thought it was better that we allow him to violate the Mir La'akum in order to salvage the money because if we don't he's not going to let go of them and then he's going to be in violation of an easter of carrying an easter of Tchumin, whatever the other Yisraim that are involved. There the Chachamin felt it was better to violate the Din Der and not the Din Deoreita. Over here, on the other hand, the items are not in his direct position. They're in his house. If he stands by and does nothing, they will be passively ruined or eliminated. And that a person is more likely to be willing to do if their Abonon uphold their position in that case. So That's the view of the Ramban and the Rashba. And for that reason, they make a distinction between items that are in hand versus items that are outside of your direct control or direct possession. And they say that there the case has to be a case where you have it in your hand. If you're just coming in and it's not in your hand and it's not in your direct control, then it would have the same din as the Daleko over here. On the other hand, the Iran over there brings and quotes from their Bain Tom that they allow Any type of salvaging of possessions or money allow you to carry it, whether it is in your hand or not in your hand. They don't make such a distinction, so therefore the distinction must be the difference between fire and that which is taking place over there. And the Rahn explains that the distinction revolves around the suddenness and the inability for the person to really deal with the situation. In the case of coming into the Tchum, where you're going to do the Mirakum, person can think about it, they can take precautions, or they can think through what they want to do and do it in an organized fashion. And that way they're not gonna be Bahul Amimono, they're gonna do the Amir akum and they're gonna be done because they will take care of it. On the other hand, when it comes to a fire which is sudden, something where they can't make any decisions over time, they can't think about it. Everything is in the spur of the moment. Over there we don't trust the individual then to do Amir La Akum and say someone tell someone to put out the fire or to violate other Israelan. Because we think they're going to go too far. They're not only going to save the things that we are allowing, they're going to save things that we don't allow as well. Because of the suddenness and the pressure of the moment, they won't think through it properly. So That's the view of the Ran, who brings the Rabbeinu Tam. actually in Siman Shin Lamadal quotes both of these distinctions. La'alacha. The Be'er over there quotes a third possibility, which seems to be the one that he leans to halachically, which is Rashi's view. He quotes based on the Rashi on Kufyu would Bet that there might be a difference between what he calls a maise misuyam, a specific action that you take, or when there's a generic action that needs to be taken. In the case by the money that you're carrying, there's a particular action that you can do to resolve the entire issue. That is you can do one amir L'akum, and that amir will solve the problem. So in that case, the chachamin were matir allowed you to violate the Tindar when you, through a specific action, a specific directive can solve the issue that is at hand. And that they allowed. On the other hand, over here where hatsala, salvation, saving of items, merchandise, persons, possessions, anything else in the house, will require, first of all, numerous people. One person generally can't do it alone, so you have to involve other parties. And number two is there's no particular action that they can take that will solve your whole problem. Putting out the fire includes many different aspects, as well as putting out large or different parts of the fire, and you can't be discerning in any way. There's no one single action that's going to solve the problem in this instance. And since there's no one directed specific action that can solve the problem, we're not going to allow you to violate the Dinder al in order to solve that problem. Because again, even if you take it as an area that doesn't have an eruv, an area that is extra tircha, again, it's not one tircha, it's not just one place, you're going to have to do this multiple times in order to save whatever it is that you want to save. In that case, the Chachamim did not permit it. It's interesting as the Balei based on this, say that there would be a distinction between whether the fire fell in the house that you're trying to salvage the items from, versus it fell in a different location that is adjacent. If it's in a different location that's adjacent, we allow you to then take care or save everything in the house. We don't stop you, because there, the person is not, number one, going to be, Bahul number two is, over there you can, like the Ron says, plan out and deal with the issue, because the fire is not right, present, here, at the moment, and therefore you have the ability to deal with it. Additionally, the Ran also says, in the name of the Sefer HaTshumah, that the restriction against saving these items over here is only when you're trying to move possessions, Kelim, when you're moving it to a Chatzera Mavui that is next to the Rishut Rabbim. But if you're moving it to your friend's house that's next door, where there is no problem with Yisud drabbanan, there's no issue at all. If the problem, as the Ramban points out, is because we're worried about Bahula Mamano, Ishema HaYichabe, maybe he'll put out the fire... What's the difference if he takes it to a chaser that's inu me'urevet, or near the Shutrabim, or whether he takes it into his friend's house? The same issue should arise. So the Bach and the Gra and others come to the defense of this position of the Ran and suggest that, that there's a correlation between the allowance to violate other isurim and shemi Yechabeh. Once the person feels there's a dispensation to do something that otherwise is not halakhally permissible, like taking it to a place that's in a he's also going to come to think that he can put out the fire, he can do other things in order to salvage that which is there. If we don't permit him to do anything that's a sore, he's just taking it to his friend's house, over there he's not going to put out the fire because he's doing what's otherwise mutar, and therefore it won't cause him to... Extend that to a double Isur. Now, Tosufo Bak, Amem Dalet, we looked at the Tosufo back then, asked the question as to what is the difference between a mate and other items or possessions a person has. The Gemara Bak, Amem Dalet, says that you're allowed to carry a mate out from a house that's in on fire, even to a chaser she'en urevet or in essence, we allow you to violate the dindra bonan because a person is Bahul al He's worried about his mate, and if we don't allow him to take it out, he's going to put out the fire to save the mate. On the other hand, when it comes to his possessions, we say he's bahula memono, and instead we say he can't do anything. He has to stand outside and watch everything burn down. So Tosufo back there makes a distinction between me'to and mimono, and that is that a person is completely emotional and irrational when it comes to his mate. And therefore, we have to allow him to violate the der to save the mate, because we don't, he's going to then violate the nisudoraito of kibui in this instance. On the other hand, when it comes to his possessions, a person is somewhat more rational about it, and therefore, since he's bahola memono, and would come him to do something wrong, we therefore don't give a dispensation to violate the dindarabonon in order to save his mamon. The berelochom. And the Orach bring the distinction that we spelled before, that is found in Rashi, and this is why it seems to be their leaning in favor of Rashi shita, which is that you can answer this question of the Balei Tosafot in the same manner, which is that when you have an action that is Misuyam, defined, directed, that can solve the whole problem, there we will allow you to violate the Din derabonon in order to salvage what that which is there. And so it's over here, by the mate, it takes one single action, Or it was one direct solution that can be brought to bear that will take care of the whole problem. That's taking the mate out. Again, when it comes to possessions, there are multiple possessions. There are many items there. That's not something that can be taken care of in a particular action or through a directed solution. And therefore, they did not permit it. So the same answer that Rashi gave before distinguished between Amir La'akum for carrying things in, coming into Shabbat, versus Daleka could also be used to solve this problem that the Bali Tosafot raised. Another issue here, which is raised by the Rishami and the Rishonim noted, which is that putting out a fire on Shabbat is only an Esor if you want the item that you're extinguishing. We saw earlier that you have to do a, a kibui, an extinguishment that has constructive purpose, which means that you're extinguishing it to make a coal. In that case, you'll be chayav kibui doraita. But according to Rabbi Shimon, who... According to most Rishonim we passed them like, if you do something that's the outcome that is garnered from the action that you take is not the same as what was done in the Mishkan, that's Melacha Srichad Gufa, and you're in Pator of El it's only in Isser Dirabonon. Because over here, you're extinguishing the fire, not because you want whatever's residual after the fire, it's to protect the other items. And therefore it's a melochah she'en gufa. If that's the case, then why can't you save or salvage items over here? At worst, if he puts out the fire, it's only going to be an yisud of melochah she'en gufa, which is patur of asur. And therefore the Yushalmi says that it is mutar lechabot. Not only is it mutar to take the stuff out, you can actually put out the fire. Because that type of extinguishment is only an the Rabbanan, and it's Melach Shein Gufa. And since we pasken like Rabbi Shimon, it is Mutar. The Magin Mishnah says that this is the reason the Rambam doesn't paskin like Rabbi Shimon. Because our Mishnah and our Perak seems to indicate that that's just not true. And that you can't put out the fire. And you can't have these solutions at hand. And we're worried about you extinguishing and seemingly violating a Dindoraita. And therefore he says that's why the Rambam paskin, not like Rabbi Shimon when it came to Melach Shein Gufa. He paskin like him by Dabbershein but Malachah Gufa he does not pasken like him. That only works for the Rambam but the other Rishonim do not say that clearly. And therefore the Bera gra on this in Shulchan Aruch in Shin Lama Dal, Yubet, says that when the Yushami over there is speaking about the Shita of Rabbi Shimon it's not like what the Magi Mishnah said and others suggest that it's speaking about Rabbi Shimon Shita by Malach Shem Tzricha Gufa and therefore you run into this problem. Rather it's going Shimon Shita from the Gemara and Irvin, and that's the in where he says that In the Chadavar shvuto maybe when it comes to Kitve Kodesh, there's no din the b'ona that we're going to block your ability to salvage or to save kitveh HaKodesh. And so therefore, the Yishalmi is saying, the reason you could be Mechabe here is because, yes, it's according to Rabbi Shimon, it didn't do because it's M'lach HaShem Tzvichad gufa And in addition to that, the Rabonin waived that issue in this instance. And that's what the Yushama is pointing out to that sheet of Rabbi Shimon in Eriven. But we don't bask in like that sheet of Rabbi Shimon in Eriven. We do bask in, according to many of Yishonim, that Malachah suchal HaLegufah is Batur velasur. But then, if you don't hold like that sheet of Rabbi Shimon in Eriven, then even the Rabbonin upheld their din in the face of Adelaika. Because they didn't want a person extinguishing a fire just to save Kitvei kodesh. Even though it's just Melacha, the Gufa, therefore that's isur still stands, and the aloha will be that you can't put out the fire. Now, there is a special dispensation with regards to fire that the Mordechai and the Ritva start to introduce, and which becomes basically aloha the Maisa today. Today, somewhat less relevant, although it still has application in many instances. But clearly, in the times where they lived in close proximity to each other in great density, the Morcha and the Ritva say that that we put out every fire. Because every fire involves a chashash of sakanat nefashot. And that is because the fires spread so quickly, so fast, that they can cause problems where it destroys residences that are approximate to each other so fast, or so quickly, that the people that are in the other residences don't have time to get out. Or are you talking about young children or elderly people that don't have the capacity to get out, and therefore there is sakanat nifashot. And because of that they were matir being Mechabe fires today, because of that issue, assuming that there is some form of Sakanat Nifashot. And interestingly enough, today, even when the houses are separate or divided, they still there are risks with regards to fire spreading from one house to the other, even when they are separate. But there is always risks because of the gas lines, because of other things that come into the house that make it possibly that there is Sakanat Nifashot, and therefore we do permit the extinguishing of the fire today, because of that safek of Sakanat Nifashot. And the Mordechai just adds on top of that, that since we pasken like Rabbi Shema, that Melachasheh and Tzricha L'Gufa is of alasur, it's only a Dindara So even if you say that it shouldn't be done, and nevertheless, B'nei Yisrael do it anyway now, because at one point it was may Nefashot, and we don't correct the action, because it is a Din Der Abbanan, only an Iser Der Abbanan. Now, once you've now established that we put out fires today, because of this issue of Sakhanat Nefashot, is there any longer a restriction to save one's possessions, or to take out any of the Kitfei kodesh that are restricted, because there's no longer this problem of putting out the fire. You are permitted to put out the fire. If the whole fear was putting out the fire then at this point, since we do allow you to put out the fire, maybe there should be no restriction whatsoever. The Mishnah Brua in Siman Shinlam O'Dalid notes that he does not think that that is the case, and he points out that there are other issues of Isur besides just Mechabeh, besides just extinguishing. This goes back to what we saw in the Ran before, who mentioned that maybe the problem here is only when you carry it to a location that is, Samoch I HaRishut Rabbim, and there's no eruv, but if you carry it to the house next door, it's not a problem at all. And the Ramban is shocked by that, because it seems to be the only problem here, is Shem So again, we saw that maybe there is, more extensive problems, than just Shem and that's what the Mishnah Bruhah points out over here, that there are other restrictions besides Shemi Yichabeh that apply. And we see that in the Shulchan Aruch, in Shem Lamedalet, later on on Yudet, where he says that this has the same application when you have a flood, or when you have a avalanche that comes, and you're speaking about saving items, the same dinim that apply to Dileka, apply to that. Well then, the whole problem is Shemi Yichabeh, why are we worried about that? So you see that the Hashash deals with other Yisra Shabbat besides just kibui, And based on that, the Mishnah Buddha says, even though today we have permission to put out the fire, still these restrictions that are about what you can save and what you can take out are still in force because there might be other Isrim involved in removing them, and therefore the only thing permitted is to put out the fire, not necessarily to salvage or to save these items, in the face of a fire. So that by way of introduction to this Perek, as well as to this Mishnah. And again, So Rashi says, it means not just Torah, and it means Nevi'im and k'tuvim as well. Ben she'korin behen, whether it's permitted to read them, Ben she'ein korin behen, whether it's not permitted to read them, and Aphopi or Vi even though they're not necessarily written in Hebrew, they've been translated into a different language. To unim they require being placed into Gnizah, you can't be Ma'amed then be in korein why can't you read them? Mipne Bitul Mi Drash because of the problem with the Beit Midrash. So this Rashi explains, and the Gemara will explain later on, is the problem of Ketuvim in general, which is that the Ketuvim are things that are Moshech to leave. They cause people to get excited or enjoy their much more easygoing type of reading. And what we're afraid of is on Shabbat afternoon, when people are looking for something to do, they're going to sit down and read the Ketuvim, which in and of itself wouldn't be so bad, except that the problem is, that if they read the ktuvim, they're not going to come to the Drosha of the Rav. And the Drosha of the Rav, as Rashi notes over here, is something whereby they taught Yisr there and they taught the Balabatim, many Halachot, as well as the Drosha that they were getting on Shabbat. And in order to facilitate people coming to the Drosha, they didn't want them to get caught up in other distractions, and therefore they were Oser ktuvim. Now Rashi brings over here, that is that when you read the Navi, because Torah and Navi, which are the Parsha, Shavua, and the Torah that you read, those are permitted on Shabbat. Ben Shein, Korin, that you don't read them on Shabbat, is the Ketuvim, which we don't read on Shabbat. That is referencing back to the Gemara on Chavdalet Amaralif in Bameh whereby the Gemara seems to indicate that they read Ketuvim on Shabbat, and the Rebbeinu Tom comments there on the bottom, told that the Haftorah for the laning on Mincha on Shabbat used to be the Ketuvim, until they changed that, and made the Xerah that you can't read Ketuvim on Shabbat. Rashi is quoting over here, is that the permitted items to read on Shabbat are Torah and K'tuvim. The other items that are impermissible are the Ktuvim because they can't be read on Shabbat because of this Gzera. He then quotes from Urbainu Alevi, quotes from his Rebbe, that the chidim in Korimbeim. It's not just that the Tzibor can't read them in order to facilitate their ability to come to the drasha, but rather it's even individuals can't read them because we're worried about them being pulled or drawn to these items and then not showing up at the Beit Midrash for the drusha of the rab. So that's the distinction between korin bahen Obain, and the korin Bahan. Now, how we explain the latter two lines, latter two halakhot of the Mishnah, whether they're written in any language and that they require gneiza. Both of those items are subject to the machlokid in the beginning of the Gemara, so we'll leave those explanations for the Gemara. The Gemara says, If they were written, the Torah neviim or Tanakh was written, whether it was in Targum in Aramaic or B'chol or any other language, You can't save them from the fire. You can't save them from the fire. According to the one who says that you can read such items, if you can read them and you can utilize them, it's clear that on Shabbat you can save them from the fire because they are things that have utility. They are permissible to be used and therefore you can save them from the fire. Over here, Rashi correlates this issue with the ability to write such items. So Machloket in the Gemara Megillah as to whether you're allowed to translate Tanakh into different languages over there there is an opinion of Rabbi Shimon ben Gamliel that you are only allowed to translate Tanakh into Greek and into no other language and since you're not permitted to translate it into these languages you're also not allowed to read them and that's the way Rashi correlates this idea that who is this individual says that you can read them he's the one who says that you're allowed to translate them if you're allowed to translate them then certainly you can read them and Rashi explains that on the Mishnah where he disagrees with his Rebbeim with regards to the status of Ktuvim versus Neveim. His Rebbeim distinguished between Ktuvim and Neveim as to whether they're permitted to be written in a Hashan. Rashi says there should be no distinction and therefore both Neveim and Ktuvim don't have permission to be translated into other language. If you can't translate them into other language, then you also can't utilize them. And the same would be true with the Torah Again, with the limitation that you can only translate it into Greek and no other language, and therefore all of these translations are problematic. The Balei Tosafot bring from the Rab Purat that he thinks that the distinction over here as to whether you're permitted or not permitted to read them is not necessarily about whether you're permitted to write them or not, but because the problem is that you have a principle holochically that dvarim Shibalpeh, Torah shabalpeh, lo likatev, cannot be written down. And, Dvarim Shebech Torah Shebech cannot be read Baal it has to be read Mitolch HaKetav. And he claims here that if you translate the item into a different language, then you're in violation of reading it Baal Because now when you read the item, you're reading a translation of the Torah, and therefore you're not reading the Torah directly from the of Shona Kodesh, and therefore it's a violation of dvarim Shebech no nitan neumam Baal Peh. Baal well, this explanation of the Rab Parat, if you're reading it, Bilashona Kodesh, and you don't look in the Tav, that's called Baal Peh. But if you translate it into a different language, and you're reading it from the Tav of that language, that's not called Shebaal Peh, because you're not reading it Bilashona Kodesh. That's a translation that's already Baal Peh, but it's something that is Mutar to do Baal Peh, because it's no longer Mitoch It's no longer Torah Shebikhtav. The translation by definition, has interpretation involved in it, because whether you translate it directly word for word, or you translate it in a manner that captures the meaning of the text, you're not getting an exact translation in either case. And therefore, it's always interpretive in nature, and therefore, it's considered or classified as Torah And as Tosovo points out, we have many instances throughout Shas, Kimi Targim Rav Yosef. Rav Yosef, who's blind, only used Targum, or was an expert in the Targum, because of the fact that he was blind, because that was considered to be something that was Torah Shebiktav, that was permitted to be done by al That's why he, as a blind individual, could engage in such an item. And as the Sfat notes, and you can explain that maybe the difference between the Dalya and the Rab Purat is what is the reason one is not allowed to read Dabriyari Mishibichtav, Balpe. Are we worried about you making a mistake? You will not be mid and make a mistake about it. If that is the reasoning behind why we don't allow you to do Dabriyari Mishibichtav, Baal and since here you're reading from a sefer that was written improperly in a different language, then the whole Khashash doesn't make any sense over here. Why we want you to read from something that is a source in order to prevent you to make mistakes, the whole thing was written improperly in the first place, and therefore, the whole Zehra doesn't apply over here, and that would be the view of the Baal whereas the view of the Rab Purat might relate to the problem that the Beit Yosef brings on the Yishami, that we're worried about the Chaserot and the eterot, or the Dwarim Shebechtab, which literally means that the Torah has a K'tiv and a Kri, and we're worried about you missing or not knowing the K'tiv, because you're only doing the Kri Baal peh. And given that, we would worry about that problem, even in a case where they translate into a different language. And therefore, we wouldn't want you reading it from this other language because that would be problematic in this case. You still wouldn't know the Ktiv, even though you had translated it and you were reading it Balpe in this instance. So he explains that that is the distinction between them, whereas the Svatimat in the end seems to indicate that the simple explanation is like Rashi suggests, did when they say that you're not allowed to write these things down, did they also extend that to not reading them? In order to prevent you from writing them, do we tell you not to read them, because then writing them will have no toilet and that will prevent people from writing them. And that seems to be the simpler explanation of what the machloket is. Now, based on what we just saw in the Balei HaTosafot, the Balei have a huge header over here, which is, today, where we say, Eid and you're allowed to write down things that were toresh Peh, or to print chumashim, all sorts of other types of sfarim, which now come under the rubric of things that are permitted to be written down, he says then, therefore we save all our Svarim from the fire, because all of them are permissible. So well, there's no longer a restriction that remains anymore, because of the fact that you are now permitted to write everything down. Other rishonim don't buy into this view of the balayatosafot. And once again here, the Ran tries to explain why there is a distinction between them as to whether they are or not permitted to be written down today. And that leads to a slew of different opinions within the Rishonim as to what exactly the heter of Aid Lasoda Shem is, what is permitted to be written down. Is it only in a language that you understand? Are you allowed to translate into other languages that you don't necessarily understand but might benefit other people? Also, if they're translated by non Jews. What is the status of the item? Maybe over there, it doesn't come under the rubric of Eid la soda shem e Tacha." Or the Ramban suggests that maybe the permission is only to translate into Onkelos and Yonatan el but to write in other languages is not permitted. Although the Ran and the Ritva are shocked by that statement of the Ramban, because we know many of the Geonim wrote their Perushim in Arabic or in Aramaic, and they did not write it in Hebrew, and so why is there any problem with translating items into a different language? Over here, the Chazanish makes a distinction between Torah Shebiktav and Torah Shebaal that the Ramban speak about Torah Shebiktav, which in 8th of the Sot Eferu we allow you to translate that only into Aramaic, into Unklis and Yonatan Ben Uziel. But when it comes to Torah Shebaal over there there was greater latitude given, and there it was given not only to write down that was Torah but also to write it in other languages besides Aramaic. And that way he distinguishes between Torah Shembalpeh and Torah in order to reconcile that Ramban. And he bases it on the Gemara Megillah, which seems to indicate that Targum into Aramaic has a certain level of Kedusha, might even be been given at Har Sinai. And therefore it's uniquely imbued with Kedusha. And that's why it's permitted to be used for translations of the Torah and has Kedusha. Whereas other translations, when we're dealing with Torah Shevaal we're not dealing with things that are inherently Kadosh, and therefore it comes under the greater rubric of the permission to write things down today that were are Torah Shevaal Peh into Torah Shevaal So now back in the Gemara, the Gemara says we have a machloket here between Rav and Rav Chista as to whether you're allowed to save items that were not permitted to be written down, svarim that were translated into other languages, and the Gemara says that according to the one who says that you can read them, everybody agrees that you can save them, and we discussed what that meant. Now, Kiplige, where do they argue? you are not permitted to read them on Shabbat. You're not allowed to save them. You can't read them, so there's no reason to save them. Okay, you can't read them, but still they have a status of Ketve Kodesh. If that's the case, then we don't want them to be left in Pizayon, and therefore we will salvage them or save them from the fire. Tanan, Our Mishnah seems to be strongly in favor of this position of Christa, because it says, Ben SheKorin Ben, Ben whether you do read them, or permitted to read them, or whether you're not permitted to read them, Ve'afal Pi even though they're written in any language. My love, how would you explain the Mishnah? How was the easiest way to read it? Shekorin behen. What are you permitted to read? Nivim. Shane korin behen. What are you not permitted to read on Shabbat is k'tuvim. And about the k'tuvim, it says Afol behold a Even though they're translated into any language, dalo nitnuli and they're not permitted to be read. B'tani. And the Mishnah says matzilin. You're allowed to save them. B'tiyuv to the That's a strong refutation of that position of Ravuna. Amar Ravuna Can you really explain the Mishnah that way? Because you're presented with a problem in the last line of the Mishnah, which is, that that you can't leave them in Hefker, you have to put them away in a respectable manner. If the Mishnah is telling you that you're allowed to save them from the fire, then it needs to tell us you have to put them in Gneezah? Of course, if you can actively save them and violate Yisraeli the Rabbanan to save them, then certainly they're going to require Geniza. Why does the Mishnah need to say it at all? Ela Ravuna Metaretz Latameh, So now we'll have the different possibilities of reading the Mishnah, which we said the last two lines need to be explained by the Gemara. Ravuna Metaretz Latameh, Ravuna explains the Mishnah according to his Shita. Ben Shekorin which is the Navim. things that you're allowed to read on Shabbat. Ben Shein Korin Be'en. Things that you're not permitted to read on Shabbat are ketuvim. When is that true? If they're written in Hebrew. If they're written in another language, you don't save them. Despite the fact that you don't save them from a fire, bo, They do require Gnizabo because we don't want them to be left bibizayon. They do have a certain level of Kiddushah, or at least they involve the translation of the Kitveh Kodesh. And even though they weren't permitted to be done so, we still don't want to treat them bibizayon, and therefore they require Gnizab. And that's how he'll read the Mishnah. Ravchishtah, Mittaritsla Tameh. Ravchishtah will read the Mishnah according to his Shita. Ben and Ben, which are the Neviim, which we read on Shabbat. Ben and Korim Bam, which are the Ktuvim that we don't read on Shabbat. Again, Rashi said, brought it first, it's the Tzibor, it has Haftorah of Novi, not Haftorah of Ktuvim, And he brought from his Rebellion that immediately applies replies to the individuals. Even if they're written in any other language, which you're not permitted to read, nevertheless, you still save them on Shabbat. Ba'okhi Kamar. Then what's the last line about the Gnizah? Umakak They're residual. They're, as Rashi says over here, if they decomposed or they were eaten by worms that eat up the books, to name Gnizah, the residual still requires Gnizah. So not only are they Kadosh, when they are whole, even their residual or their pieces that are left over have a din of kidusha, which we'll discuss a little later about where there is that requirement of Gnizah, where are the implications of that. So we have another question. Ayuk Tagum If they were written or translated into Targum, to Aramaic, or Cholashon, or any other language, you'd like to save them from the fire. Again, Yufta de Ravuna, that's a strong refutation of Unna's position, which is when they're written, Cholashon, you can't save them from the fire. This Tana holds, you can read them. According to Rashi, you're permitted to write, and therefore permitted to read these items, according to the Rav Porat, you are permitted to read these items. It's not a problem of and therefore you are permitted to read these things. And if you can read them, you're allowed to save them. So like we said before, Rav Chista and Ravuna agree in that case, according to the one who says that it's Mutali, quote, Ben. But now we have a problem, which is Tashmah. We have a B'rita that says it explicitly. So all these are languages from those areas, Ivrit is from as Rashi says, Ever Hanahar but over there, the Rashi, when he says that seems to be indicating that it has to do with the font which is, maybe it's the cursive Hebrew, rather than the block or Ashurit Hebrew that we use for the Kitzvah Kodesh today so it might relate to the actual cursive type of writing, rather than the block writing that we do so now the bride makes it explicit that this is according to one who says that you're not permitted to read these items. Yet you're still allowed to save them from the fire. This goes directly against Ravuna, to Yuv to the Ravuna, a strong refutation of Ravuna's position. Ravuna there is a machloketanaim with regards to this matter. And I hold like one Tana, and Ravchista holds like the other Tana. So yes, this Tana that we just quoted is like Ravchista. But I subscribe to the other Tana, the Tanya. We have a Brighta, Hayuk, Tuvim, Targum. If they were written in Aramaic, Ubuchola Shoner in the language, Matsilinotamipne Adleika, which seemingly would be according to the Shita of Ravchista, Rabbios Yomer, Matsilino Matsilinotamipne Adleika. You don't save them from the fire seems seemingly would be the Shita of Ravuna. Ama So now as a sidebar, as part of this Tosefta that we're quoting, it quotes a story over here. Maseb Abba There was an incident with my father Chalapta. This is Rabiosi Yossi Rabbi Chalapta. So he's speaking about his father, and he calls him Abba Chalapta. Over here you see that when you speak about one's father, or one's Rebbe, you're not allowed to say their first name, or you're not allowed to call them by their name. That's asked by Rabbi Akiva Eger here in the Gudenai, Rabbi Akiva Eger and his son, Rabbi Shlomo Eger, and the Yalkutei Rabbi Kiv Eger, points out, as well as the Bera based on Rashi, and Sanhedrin makes the same suggestion. If you add an accolade, or you add some sort of preface of respect to their name, then that is permitted. So over here where he says Abba, which is a term of endearment and respect, then he's allowed to say his father's name, and that's why he says, "Masababa Abba Chalapta. because says, there was an incident with my father. Shalach Eitzel he went to visit Rabbi Gamliel, who was the Gadol Hador, Litavaria who was in Tavaria. Matzo sheyoshev al-shukhano shel, he was sitting by the table of either Tziochanan Nizov or Rabbi Yochanan ben Nizov, ubiado Sefer Yov, and he had in his hand a Sefer Yov Targum that was translated, Vil <muchos> and he was reading it. Amar <muchos> so Rabbi Chalafta, says to Rabbi Gamliel, who was sitting there, for Rabbi Gamliel I remember Rabbi Gamliel, your grandfather, who is Rabbi Gamliel HaZakain, who was alive when the Beit HaMikdash was still extant. He was standing up on a high place or one of the elevations in HaRabait. And they brought for him exactly the Sefer that you're reading, Yov, translated into Aramaic. And he said to the builders, Throw it under one of the rows of bricks that you're building over here. In essence, put it into Gnizah. Afut Sivalav, the And he told them to put it into Gnizah. Rabbi Yossi Rabbi Yehuda Omer, he tells the story slightly differently, which is, Areva Shaltit Kafu Alav. That they put a trough full of plaster, they tipped over on it to it. So as Rashi points out over here, the story is about Rabbi Gomlila Cain, who passed away 18 years before the Abayit, he is replaced by his son, Rabbi Shimon ben Gamliel, but he is persecuted by the Romans, and therefore Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai becomes the premier Nasi at that point in time, and all the stories in Gitin about the Churban by Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai. One of the things that he asks from the Romans is to spare the Shoshalet of the Nasiim and to spare Rabbi Shimon Gamliel. He is then replaced Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai after passing away with Rabbi Gamliel de Yavne, so that's the famous Rabbi Gamliel of Yavneh, who we know from many of the other stories in Shas. And that, Rabbi Gamliel the Yavneh, his grandson is Rabbi Huda Nasi. So this is, Rabbi Huda Nasi's grandfather is Rabbi Gamliel the Yavne, about whom the story is spoken about here in Tavaria. And Rabbi Eichalapta is saying, I remember your grandfather, Rabbi Gamliel of Zakein, this story about him. I have two questions about the authoritativeness of this story. Number one, where do you ever find that there's tit and harabait? Rashi says here. That's because they didn't use regular plaster on harabait for putting on the walls. They used Tarkasid. They used things that were mixed with sand and plaster mixed together. But they didn't use tit, which is just a mixture of water and lime, and so therefore it was the wrong material to be used on Harabite. but he's referring to specifically about the Mizbech, what they used to build with the Mizbech, but for whatever reason he thinks that tit was not found on Harabite. the ode. and number two is, who says that you can destroy them actively, maybe they require genizah, or maybe they require retirement, but you don't ruin them, or you don't damage them actively, Elda min yachbim koma leaving in a place of exposure, vein markivin me'aleen, and then they get ruined on their own, or mitabdim me'aleen, or they get lost on their own, and that they get ruined passively, not actively, and therefore he rejects Rabbi Yossi, Rabbi Huda's version of this story. Now how this relates to the Rami'shna Mishnah is not clear. The Rabbi Nochanano over here seems to suggest that this is the same thing that's said in our Mishnah, and that Rabbi Yossi, Rabbi Chalafta, And Rabbi both agree that you require Geniza over here, like our Mishnah says. And Geniza is a requirement that you don't ruin it, or you don't destroy it, derech b'zayon. Never you have to put it into a klicheres, you have to put it in a place where it can get ruined in a way that is not derech b'zayon. On the other hand, there are others that want to suggest that there are actually three different opinions as to what you do over here with regards to these items. And Rabbi's opinion argues on Rabbi Yosef and Rabbi who says they require genizah. He says they don't require genizah, they can be put out to get ruined. And based on that, he suggests that Rabbi is the Machriya between the two positions in the Mishnah. And therefore we pass in that way, that you can put it out, but not which is different than genizah but the consensus of most of the achonim and the Aloha is like the Rebbeinu Hananel, that the Gnizah and what's being suggested over here can be reconciled, and therefore the idea of Gnizah is that you don't destroy it, derech Bizayom. So now, based on this story, Rav Huna found a Tana, Rabbi Yossi, who supports his position. And the Gnizah says, Man wait a minute, is this really a Machlok Tanaim, as Rav Huna suggests? Maybe it's not. Ilema, what is the Tanaim here? If you say it's the Tana Kamla, de Rabbi Yossi, it's the Tanakama of Rabbi Yossi and Rabbi Yossi that the Machloket is, and one of them is like Rabbi one of them is like Rabbuna, the HaKam Ifligate. Who says they argue about what you're suggesting, which is, whether you're Matzilin or not Matzilin, something that's written B'chol Hashom, which is a Surly Kroat, Mar Ben, Mar Lo Maybe their Machloket has nothing to do with what you're suggesting, but rather, fundamentally, are you allowed to read them? are not allowed to read them. The Tanakhana thinks you're allowed to read them, and then both Rebchis and Rebunah agree, according to that, deya you have to save them from the fire. And Reb Yossi believes that you're not allowed to read them, and therefore you can't save them from the fire. So yes, you establish one of the Tanaim like yourself, Huna. But who says the Tanakama is like Rav Chista. He might have a totally different position for a totally different reason. Ella, it must be that the Machlug is between Rabbi Yosef and Tanah the Giftit. Rabbi Yosef who thinks that Asurli Kropan thinks that you don't have to save them from the fire. And the Tanah of the brighta that we brought before, that it's written in all those different languages, Giftit, Yivanit, Ivrit, Madait. That Tanah clearly said that when it's written in other languages, you do save it even though it's Asurli Kropan. So there you have, Rav Chista's position is supported by the Tanoh of Giftit, and Ravuna's position is supported by the Rabbi Yossi Berabi Chalapto. Okay, now we move on to a bright brighter Tarnabanan. Abrocholt Vechmiin. Abrocholt over here, Rashi explains are, Matbea Brocholt Shetavu Chachamim, the different filot that were instituted Vechchchamim, you Yutchet, like Shmonesre V'shar Brocholt Vechmiin, Amulets, Vechmiin, Alpha Pishesh Ben Otiot Shil even though they have letters of the Shem Hashem, or they have other concepts that are written in the Torah, as Rashi says that they're written for Lachash, they're written as incantations, like, out of fear, out of curative, for curative purposes, if they are caught in a fire, we do not save them from the fire, they are burnt in place, them and the Shemot Hashem that are mentioned in them. There's a big question over here in the Rishonim as to whether you have the Girsu of Hameh, and that has massive nafkamino to Nafkaminot, with regards to what you're allowed to save from a fire. Based on the Girsu that we have over here, irrespective of whether they have the Shemot Hashem or don't have the Shemot Hashem in them, you're not allowed to save them, and therefore the Shem of the have no bearing on whether you're permitted to save them. Brachot and Kmeot are not permitted to be saved over here. Mikan Amro, from this they say, Kodvei Brachot, those people that write down the Brachot, Kisurvei Torah, are like burning the Torah, because if a fire comes, they will be burnt out. Even though that's a far-fetched situation, the point is that writing things down is risky because of the fact that it might end up being burnt or you can't save them in these situations which show that they don't have full fledged Kedusha. And if they don't have full fledged Kedusha, you should be engaged in writing of these items. So first of all, with regards to Hain Vaz Kuroteen, both the Rif, the Rambam and the Rosh don't have it in their Girsa, and therefore it's brought by the Mishra Brua that they're Achronim, like the Primic Godim, the Pasuken, that Paskin that you can't save kmeiim bismanazeh, but if they have a shame a in them, you're allowed to save them. It's clear that they had a different saw in the Gemara because it doesn't say Hain v'azkuro Even though it still seems problematic because earlier on in the bright that says otiot and we'll discuss that further later on. The Batei Tosfos discussed discuss this with regards to Megillat Esther, and we'll come back and close that issue. But the Shulchan Aruch. In Shulam Adad Yudal it brings two day old as to whether today you're allowed to save Khmeyim because of the issue of Soda Shem for things that are Dover Limud, Tzorach Tfilah. Those are items that are allowed to be written down. So one opinion is that's true by Limud and Tfilah. That's why we print Sidurim. That's why we have all these different things that are printed with the Shema Hashem in them. And that is permitted because have the Shem On the other hand, a Khmeya, is not included in that dispensation, because there's no Eid or do we say that once they were to writing things down, they were to everything, including the Kimeim, and then that obviously will have Naf as to whether today you're allowed to save those items from the fire, because they are permitted to be written down. Clearly Sidurim and items that are Brachot can be saved, because that is under the dispensation Eid La Kameim will be subject to this question as to whether they were included or not included. And many achronim favor saying that you do not save Kameo to and they rely on the Shochan Aruch in Yeridea, who says that it's also to write P'sukim in a Kamea. And based on that, it would be pretty clear that if it's also to write it, even Bizman then you sha not be able to save it bit Adleka. And so from here, many achronim conclude that if you are going to have items of kedusha that are causing mechikat shame, even indirectly, not in a direct fashion, there's still nisu Banan. And then it's even more problematic, maybe even a dindoraita, when you do it be yadayim. And therefore, the Moshe Feinstein and the Igros Moshe suggests that you're not allowed to bring divrei kedusha to a hospital, whereby after these items are quote unquote contaminated by the cholera, that the staff is going to throw these items out because that's gorem liibud of Shemot Hashem, afterwards, even though it's done in an indirect manner, like you see over here, there's a far-fetched chance that this thing's going to be burnt. Nevertheless, the Chameem say, don't write it because it might get burnt. So you see, even when you engage in indirect activity, that still is problematic with regards to Michikat Hashem. And now the Gemara brings down an incident, Masa there was an incident with this individual, Shakote B'Tzidan, in the city of Sidan, he was writing down what seemingly are these brachot, that were not permitted to be written down, they came and let Rabbi Shmuel know that this person was violating this Dinder Abonan, it seems, to write these items down. And Rabbi Shmuel went to check on him to see what he was doing. When Rabbi Shmuel was coming upstairs to come see what this individual was doing, he realized that Rabbi Shmuel was coming to check on him. He took a huge pile or section of brachot that he had written, the and he dumped them into the water, in order to, to, quote unquote, hide them from Rishmo to destroy the evidence that was there. Rabbi Shmuel says to this individual, That what you did now, is much more problematic than what you did before. The question is, what did he do wrong originally, and what did he do wrong in the back end? It's clear that the first thing that he did wrong was only in Yisr the rabbanan. Which is what we saw before, that Mikadam called Torah. So there was an Isr Duraban. Over here in the back end, when he dumped him into the water, what Isr did he violate? So some suggest that he violates Mechikat Hashem, erasing God's name. Because the erasure of God's name is an doraita of lotusun Ken that you abeid tabed that you wipe out the places of Zarah, but you're not allowed to do that to the shame Hashem. And therefore, over here, you're in violation of a d'oraita of mechikat Hashem. So better you would have just been in Yisr the Now that you did this, you're now violated an Yisr right. The only question that really is here is that when he put him in the water, is that considered to be ma'abit bi'adayim? Or is that only considered to be something that's done indirectly? And if that's the case, why was what he did later worse than what he did originally? So the Achiezer wants to suggest that maybe it was on paper, and therefore it's considered to be Ibud B'yadayim, because it erases right away, rather than a cloth where it would soak for a while and then only be erased. And that's why it was more problematic, because it was considered to be direct, mechikah shame, rather than indirect, mechikah shame. But the other possibility is that Rabbi Shmuel was saying to the Shittat according to you who thinks that it's okay to write these things down, and that's why obviously you weren't listening to the Chachamim, and writing them down, then when you dumped them into the water, it's clear there that you did Mechikar Hashem, even if it was indirectly, that's much worse than just writing them and disagreeing with the Sheet of the Chachamim. So you obviously did something much worse by dumping them into the water after you had written them. So the Reshkaluta queried of Rabbi Barahuna the following. We saw all these types of inks early on in the Mesechta. We said that if you write with any of these items, they're problematic on Shabbat, even though for the Torah it has to be written Bidyo. It has to be written with the specific type of ink because, as the Gemara tells us, dio has staying power, strong staying power. Now, some Sikra, kumas and kant Kum also have staying power because the Mishnah early on says that they are for writing with them on Shabbat, but it's still not as good as dio. Dio will last for a very long time, and that's why we want to write kids Kodesh with dio. Other than these types of inks are much better than Mei rot, which are, don't last for 24 hours. But these inks do last at least for a minimum of 24 hours, and therefore they're considered tibah, the gabe Shabbat. By Tosfot bring a different distinction, which is that the yo is more easily erased, but has longer staying power on the cloth, whereas these types of inks soak into the cloth, and therefore they don't last as long, but they are much harder to erase if you write with them. And he wants to use that to explain the Gemara and Sota that says when you write Parshat Sota that needs to be erased, you can use Dio, but you can't use any of these inks because these inks have more staying power. So he suggests that they absorb more into the cloth and therefore they don't erase as easily, but they don't have as much staying power or duration as Dio, and therefore we favor Dio because of its staying power. So now, if you have these Kitvei Kodesh that written in Sam, Sikra, Kumus, and Kant all these different types of inks, which are not "Quote unquote acceptable for the ketuvah kodesh, but written Bilashona lishana So the failure over here is not that they're written in a different language, but rather that they were written in an improper ink. Do you save them or do you not save them? I mean, this is a corollary to the question: If they're written in a different language, do you save them or not? And the Gemara says, Tibai l'mandamar matzilin." It's a question according to one who says, like Rav that you do save them it's also a question for Ravuna who says you don't save them when they're written in a different language according to Ravuna who says you don't save them when they're written in a different language that's when they're translated the languages over here where they're written in Hebrew maybe you would save them so even though they're not written in the ink, that would make them full-fledged, but they're written by Lashon kodesh, So that has some sort of elevated status. Maybe there you would save them. Maybe according to one who says, you do save them of when they're written in a different language. That's only if they're written properly with ink, the because they have lasting power. So even if they're written in a different language, because they have lasting power, therefore you save them. came into Here, since they don't have lasting power, Lo, no, you wouldn't save them even though they're in B'lashonah Kodesh. So, Amalei, Rav says, Ei Matsilin, you don't save them. And similarly is suggesting that according to Ravuna, just like you don't save them when they're in a different language, here too you wouldn't save them. And maybe even according to Rav Hista over here you wouldn't save them. And then the Reish Kaluta says to him, Rabbi Tana Matsilin. Did Ravam bring a bright that tells us that you're allowed to save them? Amalei, Tanya Tanya, if there's a Tanaic work that says otherwise, then I'm bound by that. Because I can't argue with the Tana, but my personal view is that I don't think you should be able to save them. But if there's an explicit Breitah that says the opposite, then I defer to that Breitah. My What is that brighta? Amaravashi Because we have a Breitah. Ein bein Migila In Masechet Megillah. There's a series of Mishnayot over there that compare items that are very similar and only have small distinctions between them. Now here you have a Breitah that does the same thing. Ein bein there's no difference between Sfarim and a Megillah. ubidyo. Megillah requires these three items. Number one, it's written in the block lettering Asharit. It's written al a Sefer, meaning written on a cloth properly like a Sefer. And with the proper ink. As opposed to all other Sfarim that can be written in any other language. Now Rashi over here suggests that Shmaminah, from this B'rita, that Shar Sfarim that other Sfarim can be written in Sam and Sikra, because the only thing that has the requirement of Dio is the Megillah. Megillah has the requirement of Asherit, has the requirement of Sefer and Dio, which seemingly don't have application to the other Sfarim, which can be written in any language, and on top of that, seemingly it can be written in any type of ink. That's the B'rita that Rav Omnuna brought, that the Reish Kaluta was quoting to say, you see, that the other svarim are classified as kitvah kodesh, even when they're not written with dio. Tosfot is very bothered by this because it seems to indicate that shar svarim don't require dio, and that's a big problem because the Gemara early on, on Ayn Tadam Bed, says that a sefer Torah requires dio, requires a sefer. And It seems to be over here that the distinctions that the bright are noting are just not true. They're not distinctions between Sefer Torah and Megillah. The Teretz of Yosef, the Sefer Torah vaday by Sefer Vedio says it's clear that Sefer Torah requires cloth and also requires the Vedio. The b'Shar Sfarim, and here he's speaking about other Sfarim besides the Sefer Torah. So the first answer Tosaf gives is that there's a Sefer Torah and Megillah which have the same dinim, and then there is the Sfayim Achirim that don't have those dinim well then why didn't they write the mention Sefer Torah along with the Megillah that's because there is one distinction between a Sefer Torah and a Megillah and that's V'chol Sefer Torah can be written in any language but Megillah can only be written in Ashurit and so that distinction makes it that Megillah was designated alone Sefer Torah has some of those features which it does require Sefer it doesn't require dio, but it can be written in any language and other Seferim they have none of those restrictions and therefore they can be written in other inks that's the the, that Ravuna was bringing to support his view that matzilin that you're allowed to save these items on Shabbat but then the re goes on to say that it doesn't seem to make any sense because the Mishnah in Megillah says mm-hmm. that the only distinction between sfarim and tefillinim is language but other than that it seems they have the requirement of dio and they have the requirement of sefer and therefore near the re that this is the distinction. The Davka Dinyan mit Mitnyach B'aita. This B'aita is only speaking about saving these items. Da'en Be'en Tzfarim Lemigillah, the difference between all Tzfarim, that includes Sefer Torah, any other Tzfarim in Tanakh besides the Megillah, is Elisha Tzfarim Nikhtavim B'chol Hashon, V'afilo below Sefer video, that they can be read in any language, even not on a cloth, even without ink. V'chashivu linyan matzilin. Despite the fact that they don't have Kedushat sefer Torah, or Kedushat Sfarim of Tanakh, nevertheless, you have to save them on Shabbat. Mipnei hadleika, even though you can't use them for reading in the, from the Torah, or you can't use them for haftorah Torah, T'yeish because they have the shame Hashem that's embedded in them. Aval megillah By Megillah, you don't save it because there is no Shem Hashem in the Megillah. That's one of the features of the Megillah is that a Shem Hashem never appears there. Hashter hastir Panai, Hashem's hand is hidden in the Megillah. All the way that the Mordechai says it because it was submitted to the historical annals of Parasumadai. They didn't want to put the Shem Hashem in there because it was going to go into the secular history books and therefore they didn't add the Shem Hashem. And therefore, the only reason you're going to save a Megillah on Shabbat is if it has the din of Ketvei kodesh. The only way that happens is if you have Sefer, Dio, and Asherit. So the requirements of Sefer and Dio apply to other Seferim as well. And if you want to read from there, if you want to utilize them and have Kedushat sefer, but the Gavai Genizah, other Seferim have an additional factor, which is the Shem Hashem that's written in them. So even though they're not written properly as Seferi kodesh, they're missing Sefer, they're missing Dio, they still require Geniza because of the shemashem, Hashem. the megillah that does not contain a shemashem, that has a requirement of Geniza, only if it has kedushat svarim. That only happens if you do it with b'dio, and ashurit. Because first of all, it has to be written in ashurit, not any other language. That's already a difference that everybody acknowledges. But sefer and dio, which are required by the other items, are definitely required by megillah because megillah doesn't have the out of shemashem, making it that you can save it or require Geniza. And therefore, that's the difference that's brought in this bright over here. Now this distinction that the Baaliyah make goes back to what we discussed before with the Kameyot. That if the Kameyot contain the Shem Hashem in them, do you put them in Geniza and do you save them from the Deleka? From the Baaliyah over here, it seems to be that Shem Hashem is a sufficient reason, even if the item doesn't have kedusha in it, to save them from the Deleka. But the other rishonim who above said that even with the Shem Hashem and the kameya, you don't save the kameya. they also don't have in their gear over here in the Gemara, this brighta Because if they don't have this brighta then they don't have this distinction that the Bayat are making. And based on that, they come to the conclusion that the Shem Hashem by itself is not sufficient grounds in order to be Matzilin. It's only if you're a Mutali ban if they have safe there, then you can save them, and therefore they disagree. Say that even with Shem Hashem, you can't say those but items that are not permitted to be written, or not permitted to be read from, and therefore the Kmei'ot that have the Shemot Hashem will be no different than Kmei'ot that don't have the Shem Hashem in it. Okay, B'aminei Ravuna Barucholov mei Rav Nachman. Zavuna asked the following of Rav Nachman. the Torah, Shem Bo Shmonim Bechamesh Otiyot. a Sefer Torah, which doesn't have the ability to aggregate and have 85 letters in it, do you save it from the Tleka? Or in Matzilin, you don't save it from the Tleka? Like the Parsha Vayib Ntso Aron, which, as we're going to see in tomorrow's Daf Vayib Ntso Aron, which is comprised of Two Sukem, that have 85 letters in it, is considered to be a safer Bifnat Tzmo, it's considered to be a Parsha Bifnat Tzmo, and therefore, that is the minimum standard for something you have, Kedushat, safer Torah. So there, clearly, if you hit that threshold, then you would save it from the lake on Shabbat because it has Kedushat Sefer Torah. Rashi over here says something very interesting. It says, Zehoshior, the Sefer Torah, Shnimchak. This says, Shehoshior of Sefer Torah that was erased, or Bala, or has worn down. Yot B'Kedushatol, that it still retains its Dusha. And then, oh, the note the has is Midayik from Rashi over here, that this Torah has the status like a regular Sefer Torah, like a Sefer Torah before it was erased and therefore, it can be kept in the Aron Kodesh or the other Sifrei Torah, because it retains the full-fledged kedushat Sefer Torah, according to Rashi. Amalei. So Nachman says back to him, v'ti why don't you ask about Parashat Vayim on itself, Kufa? Why do you ask about just 85 random letters in the Torah? Why don't you ask about Parshad Vayim Tzohar, that it's missing one of its letters, Does it still requires saving it from the D'leika? He says, there, lo boili. I don't have any question about Parshad Vayim Tzohar. The Kaimaditpe has Karot, because it has the Shemot Hashem in it. The Shemot Hashem are sufficient grounds to save it, even though it doesn't have 85 letters in it. So therefore, I don't have any question about the Parsha Bayim so that's missing a little bit. My question is about Sefer Torah, where you have a Sefer Torah that doesn't have 85 letters in it and does not have a Shemot shem. My! What is the din over here now interesting over here, Rashi says that the Parshavali Torah that is written by itself, Shinivalvada, that that's all that was written and it's still missing a letter does it have a din of Kdusha from here, you would say that just the opposite of the deal that made in Rashi before, which is Rashi thinks that you can have kedushah say for Torah if you just write a parshia. That reaches 85 letters. You don't need to have a full-fledged sefer Torah that was reduced down to 85 letters. So it seems to be against the diokav de no debiuda. Maybe the way to reconcile that is to say that when you have a full sefer Torah and what remains is 85 letters, even if they're just distributed 85 letters that make no sense, nevertheless they still have a din of kedusha sefer Torah. Whereas when you're writing from the beginning, if you get up to 85 letters, if you're writing a parsha shleima, which has semblance to it and it could be read then that has kedushat sefer torah even if you just hit 85 letters that's because you're writing a parshia shlema it's not distributed or dispersed throughout the sefer torah so Bayle sefer torah shembo lalakeit mai amalei so to nachman says is that really true targum <laughs> shekatavomikra it's certain places in the torah you have aramaic instead of hebrew like the words yegar satuta which is the way that Lovan called the place that Yavkov called targum. <speaking in Hebrew> or in places where you're supposed to write the Torah in Hebrew, you translate it and write it in Aramaic, <speaking> in <Hebrew> or if you write it in the cursive Hebrew rather than the Yashurit, <speaking in Hebrew> you save it, <speaking in Hebrew> and you don't have to speak about a case where Tagum be Ezra the Aramaic, then in Ezra, which is the right way to write it, Ushiba Daniel, because parts of Ezra and Daniel are written in Aramaic, and if you write it in Aramaic, Ushiba Torah, or the Targum of the Torah, if you wrote it as Targum, then clearly you have to save it from the Deleka. Targum Shiba Torah, maininu. What is the example of Targum in the Torah? Yigar Saduta. So it seems from this B'rita that even if it was Yigar Saduta that was all that left in the Safety Torah, you would save it. Even though it doesn't have 85 letters, Yigar Saduta would be enough reason to save the Torah. So, Rav Nachman says, you're reading the bright thing correctly. Ketani that bright thing is Lashlim. It doesn't mean Yigar Saduta is the only thing left over. It means that if the Yigar Saduta is one of the 85 letters that's found in the Torah that's left over, they count towards the 85 letters, even though they're in Aramaic. Ibailo hanishmonim These 85 letters, can they be distributed throughout the whole Torah? Or can they have to be aggregated in a single location? So, Ravuna Amar Sot. Ravuna says they have to be all together in a single location. Even if they are distributed throughout the Torah. If you have a Sefer Torah that is worn down, you can gather together 85 letters. You're allowed to save it. So it sounds from over there, means you have to gather them together that they're distributed or dispersed throughout the Torah. bimlav you can't do that, eh matzilin. Te'yuv to the Ravuna, that's a strong refutation of Ravuna's position over here, because Ravuna says, they have to be mikunasot, they have to be all gathered together. So targema Ravchista, avi Ravuna, Ravchista answered on behalf of Ravuna, We're speaking about words. And Rashi said this earlier on, I didn't mention it, because the Gemara is going to come to this conclusion, that's what influenced Rashi. Up above, when Rashi says the he means, she nisheret makom There's a word here, a word there. It's not that there are 85 letters just randomly distributed. It It means that there's a word here, a word there, and the totality of all those words equal 85 letters. So Ravuna is saying that B'rita is speaking about words. And when the words are distributed all over the place, that's where the B'rita says that if you can aggregate them together to make 85 letters, that it works, even though they're distributed throughout the Torah. The machalok here between Ravuna and Ravchispeh is about when you have letters that are distributed all over the place. And what Ravuna is suggesting is there, you need to have them aggregated into a single location. And that's why Rashi claims that the question of Ravuna Bachalov of Rav Nachman was a question about when you have words that are distributed all over the place, what is the Din? And from this bright thought, like Ravuna suggested, you would say Ein Matzilin if there were less than 85 letters. So even if you have words that are distributed all over the place, if on an aggregate basis they don't equal 85 letters, this b'rita says, ain't matzilin, you don't save them. And that was the answer that Rav Nachman gave. Rav and Rav Chista's machloket is about the letters themselves being distributed, not words. In that instance, Rav says they have to be aggregated in a single location to make it into something that has Kedushah. Whereas Rav Chista believes they can even be distributed throughout the Torah, and that will still garner it Kedushah. And even though, according to Rav Chista, or according to the b'rita, those items that are distributed all over, you can't read them. And therefore, if you can't read it, we saw above that if you can't read something, a Though that's the sheet of Ravuna earlier, who we in like. And so then why over here would you suggest that you could save or it the item if you can't read it together? So the Sfat, the man, points out over here there's a difference between being disallowed to read it when I mean it's a sword to read it, which creates some sort of chisaron in the Kedushat safer, versus your inability to read it Because of the distribution, this was once a Sefer Torah that had Kedushat Sefer Torah, and now you can't read it just because it's distributed everywhere, but not because it's a sword to read it, and therefore it maintains some sort of form of Kedushat, the original Sefer Torah, like we saw above with the Noda of that once something has Kedushat Sefer Torah, as long as there's some residual to it, it maintains that Kedushat Sefer Torah, and that would be the reason that you can save it from the Deleka, as well as the reason that, of course, it would require a Okay, we're gonna stop here, two lines from the bottom of Kuftet Vav Amudbet.